None of what you're about to hear is inspired by a true story. It is a true story. My name is Reed Domingo, and I robbed 12 banks in San Diego, California. I didn't hurt anyone. I never wanted to. I did it all for love and to pay for the devastating debts racked up from the costs of IVF needed for my wife and I to start a family. Let me tell you about how I reached such a point in my life, the wonderful things that happened to me before, during, and after the robberies, and how I found redemption by helping others during my time in prison. So here then, in my own words and in my own voice, is my story. Episode 2, California Dreaming. So once I uh, spoke to my dad and he said that, yes, you're going to be leaving this Saturday. The other company director, Mardi Bahadine, and myself, we uh, both donned our suits on Boxing Day and uh, we had a taxi take us from uh, Abergavenny in South Wales and drive us down to Heathrow Airport and we flew out to San Diego, California. I think one of the most defining memories that I have of that was when we finally arrived and it was beautiful sunshine, which I'm not really that surprised about. But as we came to the edge of the airport and we were about to exit coming through those sliding glass doors, we both braced ourselves. Obviously, the sun was shining, but we knew when that door opened, we were going to get that icy cold wind that would chill right through your suit. And the doors opened and it was warm. Unbelievable. We stepped out into beautiful California sunshine, and it was now the 27th of December, and it was gorgeous. The warm air, it was probably low to mid-70s, but when you're used to being in the UK, stepping out into that 70-degree sunshine was amazing. I think what struck me was just how everybody seemed to be happy. There were people wearing shorts and T-shirts around Christmas and these big American cars. In fact, you saw very few European cars. It was just big Cadillacs and Buicks and Oldsmobiles. Very strange environment, big open roads and straight roads. So I was just fascinated being in San Diego and uh, obviously hearing this American accent that previous to that, I'd only really heard American accents on television and in the movies. What was so funny, now I'm in a place where when I was speaking to taxi drivers or restaurant staff, they were fascinated by my accent. And there were several times when we were ordering food that I remember saying what I would like to eat and the waiter or waitress would just be standing there staring at me. It was as if I was speaking a foreign language, but in some ways I was. I was speaking English, British English, not this American colloquial thing that they had over there. And I suppose the thing that I got wrong was when I would ask for water. Could I please have a glass of water? And I may as well ask for a glass of curry sauce because they had no idea what I was asking for. That, that was kind of interesting. But I loved America, or at least my first impression of it. It was warm, the people were warm, and I could just tell that this was going to be a fun couple of weeks. The next day, we got picked up 
by the company secretary. Her name was Garby, and she took us to uh, the suite that we had. As it was just a sales office, it was in a, a sort of a business district on Hibbert Street. So she illustrated to me that we had all of the customers on different Rolodex cards. And at any time when you spoke with a customer or they ordered stuff, you would just make some sort of notation on this Rolodex system, and that's how it was. And then obviously invoices, orders would be stored in a filing cabinet. Very surprisingly for me when I was there, they had these Apple computers, these Apple Mac computers, driven by little pictures. So very quickly I realized I needed to find some way to take this information that we had on Rolodex cards and put it inside this computer. To achieve that, I realized what we needed was a thing called a database. I went out, I believe it was about $300 for this relational database, which I purchased, and I had to basically then follow the manual and set it up. It didn't take too long, and I'd say by the end of the two weeks that I was there in California, I'd created a database. And I contacted my dad at the end of the two weeks, we were ready to come back, and I told him, okay, I've made a database, it just needs to be populated. What does that mean, my dad said? Oh, it means you've got to put all the information in, dad. All of the information about the customers needs to be put in. Can you do that? Well, yeah, I could do that, dad. I could do that. Well, how long is that going to take? Uh, maybe about two weeks, two, two to four weeks max. Uh, yeah, go ahead and stay. Oh, don't come back? No, stay there and you populate that database thing that you talked about. So I did. I stayed there, no real complaints. We were living in a hotel at the time, so we just decided, okay, let's continue at the hotel. We extended our stay, and uh, my day would basically consist of getting up in the morning, going to the little restaurant, having breakfast. We'd then get picked up by Garby, and we'd come to the office, and I would basically spend my day just putting data into this database. And uh, at the end of the four weeks, the database was now done, absolutely done. And uh, my dad then basically said to me, oh, everything's finished. We need somebody to join the sales marketing team in San Diego. Uh, might you be interested? And at the time, I just had a girlfriend that I'd only been seeing for about two or three months prior to me leaving. So I didn't have anything really as a commitment holding me in the UK. So I said, yeah, I think I will take you up on that opportunity. So my dad said, okay, fine, get yourself more familiarized with what's going on for another couple of weeks, then come back. Come back, close out your affairs here in the UK, and then return. So I uh, broke up with my girlfriend, and then I flew back to the United States. And it was at that point that everything started to roll. Right before I left to go back to the United Kingdom, I decided to join a gym. I'd just been lifting weights and sort of pumping iron for about a year prior to going to the US, and I found it was something that really resonated with me. As a young boy, I was sort of diminutive in size. So obviously as a, as a kid, I uh, remember very distinctly, I was about 14, we were living at the beaches, and it was in a Sunday supplement with the Telegraph. There was an article in there about a bodybuilder in America. But what really fascinated me was there were all these pictures of him in there. And there was a picture of all of these supplements that he was taking. And he laid them out on a table. They didn't 
reference anything with regards to steroids or anything like that, but they were showing all of these tablets he was taking, protein tablets, uh, amino acids, various vitamins, and he was probably swallowing somewhere in the region of two to 300 tablets a day. But that fascinated me that there were all these different colored tablets that he was taking. And the center page of the supplement was a life-sized picture of his arm doing a bicep pose. And it covered the whole center spread. And I distinctly remember taking my little pipe cleaner and putting it up against his arm and just being fascinated at the difference. And it was at that moment that that penny dropped me. And I knew I wanted to be like that guy. And I would say, gosh, at that time, I was absolutely sopping wet, probably weighed about eight stone, 112 pounds, or uh, maybe just a tad over 50 kilos. I distinctly remember that uh, I went out and uh, got myself a bull worker. Uh, my dad used to have one when we lived in Maidenhead. And now that we're in Wales, I went to a sports shop and I bought this bull worker, which in essence was basically a big spring that had two cables that connected the top and the bottom. And all you had to do was pull on the cables and it obviously compressed the string. And I put up the little chart on my wall and I did all of the little exercises, pushing it, pulling it, leaning on it. And very quickly I realized I needed something more. So I went out and I bought myself my first little weight kit. Uh, with uh, plastic weights that were filled with sand and a bar that you'd put it on. I remember having to carry it all home from Argos, and that was a workout all in itself, taking it from Argos, carrying it onto the bus and lugging all this weight that probably was in excess of, you know, 100 pounds worth of weight and lugging it all the way from Newport in South Wales on the bus back to Abergavenny and then trudging it probably a good three quarters of a mile from the bus station back to the house. And with that, my love affair with lifting weights and to some degree bodybuilding started. Whether it was just destiny, my body really responded to it. And it took no time whatsoever to go from being just a skinny little guy with pipe cleaner arms and legs to developing what a lot of people considered to be a very interesting-looking physique. So moving forward, when I came to the United States, obviously I wanted to continue working out, so I joined a gym. But at the time, it was called Family Fitness, across the street from the Miramar Naval Air Station. The name sounds familiar. That's the Naval Air Station that is featured in the Top Gun movies. And genuinely, you could be at the gym, come out, And while you're standing there, you would see F-15s and other types of fighter planes just flying, not right over the head of the gym, but in close enough proximity that you could see these are fighter jets. But the quality of the gym was something that I'd never seen in the United Kingdom. For starters, the gym was probably, I would say, maybe the size of six or seven tennis courts put together, whereas most gyms in the uh, United Kingdom, you were lucky if they were bigger than your kitchen. And the level of equipment out there, massive amounts of weights, dumbbells that went in excess of 100 pounds. Some of the dumbbells I couldn't even lift off the rack. Um, And 
one of the things I really resonated with was the attitude in the gym. It was so friendly. Everybody was friendly. If you needed help or you wanted to use a piece of equipment, you could just go up to somebody and ask them a simple question as to, well, oh, excuse me, how many more sets do you have? And they would say, oh, I've got three, I've got four. Or they'd say, oh, I've only got a couple. Jump in with me. The camaraderie that they had in the gym was just fantastic. I remember working out there one day, doing my own thing, and this black guy came up to me, massive guy from my perspective, probably about six foot two, 300 pounds, and uh, he asked something about what I was doing or whatever, and once I responded, he said to me, oh, where are you from? And I said, oh, I'm from England. Oh, but that, he was like, whoa, no way. We struck up a conversation, and that was the day that I met James G. I'm James G. I'm 57 and a half years old. I spent 32 and a half years in San Diego as a police officer. And that's where I met Reed in San Diego. My father was a Los Angeles County Deputy Sheriff. I went to college in Flagstaff, Arizona. And from Flagstaff, I always knew that I was going to follow in my father's footsteps and become a deputy sheriff like my dad. I met Reed in 1986. So I started the academy April 24th of 86. I graduated the academy September 8th of 86, probably sometime after a graduation or around graduation in 86, I believe is when I met Reed. Um, I was less thick then than I am now. I was coming off of a full ride college scholarship where football and played football in college and whatnot. So I was a younger person. I was 23 years old when I started the police academy. Uh, and Reed is one year my junior. So we graduated from the academy. I happened to meet Reed at Family Fitness Center. And um, just this buffed out guy. I'm from San Diego. I'm not from Europe, UK, England. There's no accent for us. Um, but I met Reed. And he, I've never known anybody from Europe, England. His town was called Abagavini. Like, what is that? That's not Los Angeles. That's not Rialto. That's not Pasadena or Covina. Abagavini. There's too many syllables. What? And then I don't know anything about England because I've never been there or Europe, United Kingdom. I don't know anything about it other than I now have a friend who's from there. Um, Reed and I hit it off right away. A San Diego police officer. Obviously, I didn't know it at the time, but yeah, he was a San Diego police officer. So friendly. And he was fascinated with the fact that I was from England. Wanted to know all about it. So what's it like in England? Oh, wow, your accent. You know, do you know Prince Charles? And he's like, yeah, yeah. He comes around every Friday for a cup of tea with my mom and I and everything. It was just the, the casualness which they thought that, obviously, if you live in England, you must know all of these other English people and the royal family. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know all about that. But... It was wonderful. He said, oh, what are you doing afterwards? Uh, let's go get something to eat. And I remember him taking me to uh, Taco Bell. I'd eaten Mexican food in the three or four months I'd been in San Diego prior. But this is my first time going to a takeaway place. And there was this lime green drink that he ordered called Mountain Dew. And I said, oh, uh, I'll just have a Coke or something. Uh, I said, well, what's that Mountain Dew? And he said, never had Mountain Dew? Oh, yeah, you're going to have to try that. So he ordered this Mountain Dew, and we ordered our tacos and burritos. 
And uh, <laughs> that Mountain Dew is uh, toxic, but delicious. Then James told me, you've got to come around to my house. I've got to introduce you to my roommates. When, when are you free? So I said, well, it was, I think it was a Thursday. I said, tomorrow, Friday, I'll be off. Come on over. I'll meet you at the gym. And afterwards, we'll go over to my place. Also in the Miramar area, maybe about 10 minutes from the gym. So we had a little rental car at the time. I followed James back to his house. And it was there that I met his roommate, Toby. To protect the identity of specific people, you'll hear me use false names in certain parts of the podcast. When I was in college, a very dear friend of mine named Toby, he wanted to come to San Diego to test for the police department. Well, I knew I was going to work for Los Angeles PD or sheriff. They're two different agencies, big agencies. But I thought, Road trip from Flagstaff, Arizona to San Diego? Yeah, three days? That sounds like a lot of fun. So, um, Toby packed up our stuff. We set up our appointment for San Diego Police Department, and it was a three day interview process that they go through physical fitness tests, written tests, and a psychological test for those people that are testing from out of town. They do all of that stuff over a three day period. And the way it worked with the police department is you have to get through each phase to get to the next phase. So that's kind of how it started. We went to San Diego, tested. We both got hired as a result of that interview process. And then four or five months later, we started the police academy. So Reed and I hit it off right away. And at the time, I wasn't married. This is in 86. Probably came back home. I was living with Toby, the guy I came out here and tested with. He's black, I'm black, Reed's black. Um, the other guy that we lived with happened to be a white guy from the police academy. And all three of us were roommates, three cops living together in Mira Mesa, a small town in, in San Diego. We lived together. I told Toby about this guy I met at the gym named Reed. Seems like a nice guy. He's got this funny accent. He talks weird. He says things like aluminum instead of aluminum. Like who says things like that? Like he talks funny, but he's a nice guy and he's into fitness. He's into working out and blah, blah, blah. So. Both Toby and James had met while they were in university in Arizona. James was there on a football scholarship and Toby was there on a wrestling scholarship. This was a concept that was so unfamiliar to uh, British people at the time that you could go to university on a sports scholarship. I mean, hey, I had to get O-levels and A-levels to go to university. These guys just had to be athletes to go to university. But as I said, James was a big guy, 300 pounds, and built like a tank. And when he grabbed your hand or grabbed your arm, it was like being grabbed by a bunch of bananas. So James was obviously in the college football team, and he was actually very good. And he was actually being scouted to go into the NFL, the National Football League, which is obviously the professional football league in America. That thing that we play here in the UK called football is called soccer. <laughs> so now I'd met Toby, and James said, uh, do you want to see something interesting? I said, yeah, sure, what have you got? He puts his hand behind his back and pulls out a nine millimeter semi-automatic handgun. I'd never even seen a gun before in my life. And I asked the stupid question, is that real? And they all laughed like, yeah, yeah, no, of course it's not real. Yes, it's a real gun. He puts it in my hand and I, I thought, what do I do with this thing? 
he takes it out of my hand, presses a button, drops the magazine out of it, and then says, there you go, now I can give it to you. There was no bullets in it, and I was just fascinated to feel a handgun. He said, so you've never fired a gun? And I said, no, I've never even seen a gun before in my life. He said, all right, we've got to go shooting. All of us need to go shooting and need to fire a handgun. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. I cannot wait to do that. Uh, he pulled out some of his police uniform, uh, their bulletproof vest that they wear underneath their shirt. Fairly heavy, um, but obviously you put it over your head and then you strap it around yourself and then you put your shirt on top of it. So obviously to the uh, uninitiated and untrained eye, you were not aware that he had a bulletproof vest on under that shirt. So he pulled out his utility belt and there was extra ammunition in there, extra magazines. And there was a little can, a little spray can in one of the slots. And I asked him, oh, what's that? And he said, oh, that's mace. What's what's mace? He goes, don't know what mace is. No. He goes, oh, okay. Here, I'll show you what it is. So he said, okay, put out your finger. I put my finger out, my right index finger, and he just sprayed a little of the spray on my finger. He said, now just rub that just underneath your eye. Anyone? No, no, either eye doesn't really matter. So I took this little wet finger that I had and I just rubbed it on the top of my cheekbone below my eye. My eye exploded with pain and they could not stop laughing. I didn't even put it in my eye. I just rubbed it lightly on the top of my cheekbone. My eye was on fire, streaming, tears coming out of it. I couldn't even open my eye properly. They were laughing so hard guided me over to the kitchen sink, bent my head over, and then were just pouring copious amounts of water into my eye. It was the funniest thing they had ever seen. That was my first experience with what Mace really was. So we were the Three Musketeers. We had similar personalities, similar interests, similar ethics, morals, every, everything just chived. It just, it was, I, I, met, I met my brother from another mother at the gym. And it was the same with Toby. So we were the three musketeers. From that point forward, every time it was weekend or any time we had free time, the three of us would hang out. And it was thanks to those two guys that they introduced me to the California lifestyle. I remember my first experience of going to the beach was with the guys. And uh, they said, yeah, get all your stuff, come over to the house, we'll all go down to the beach together. We went down to uh, La Jolla, which is uh, it's a suburb of San Diego, right there on the coast. And it's a fairly affluent area. It's, an, it's a very old, established area of San Diego. And it's obviously an area where there's a lot of money in there. But it has beautiful beaches, understandably. We went there down to the beach. We set up our little stuff. We bought a little barbecue thing as well. And we were getting ready to sit on the beach. I took my T-shirt off. And when I took my tracksuit bottoms off, I was wearing my swimming trunks. At which point the guys looked at me and thought, where do you think you are? You at a bodybuilding competition? Nobody wears those things out here. Obviously, that's what we wear in England. If you're going to the beach or you're going to a swimming pool, you wear your swimming trunks. And what do they look like? Uh, a pair of underwear. They were laughing at me standing there in my fluorescent yellow swimming trunks 
when they were all wearing Bermuda shorts, as the way I would describe it, down to your knees. And here I am standing in my little underpants, a.k.a. budgie smugglers. <laughs> so at one point, we were messing about on the beach, and I weighed at that time probably about, uh, I don't know, about 13 stone, 190 pounds, that sort of weight. And Toby was a smaller guy, maybe 5'6", five, 5'7". And he weighed about 160 pounds, which is more like uh, 11 stone. And uh, he started pulling me around because he's a wrestler. And next thing I know, he pulls me, twists me, boom, throws me on the ground. Oh, wow. I come to my feet. All right, let's try that again. Pulls me, yanks me down on the ground. Okay, but I'm a fast learner. And I realized I was not going to be able to beat him with technique. But what I did have over Toby was strength. We both got down. As he came for me, I went down and I just ran into him like a train and picked him up, raised him up in the air and just slammed him into the ground. Everybody was laughing and there just happened to be a little kid standing there. He looked at Toby and he said, go home, loser. And everybody was laughing. It was so funny. There was no way I would ever be able to out-wrestle Toby but I did just out-muscle him. That's all it was. And obviously, you know, going out with the guys was great. We used to go out a lot, and they would introduce me to new stuff because obviously I'd never seen anything before from the California perspective. They would take me to different restaurants, different burger places. They really took me under their wing, and the three of us just hung out all the time. One thing led to another, and we just became bros, and we just started hanging out together. And we were both single at the time, and you know, he was over here from England, wherever that was, and he was working for this company, Biozyme, and his dad owned the company. So he, he was here running the United States branch of this enzyme company. What's an enzyme, Reed? Like, what are you talking about? And he kind of explained it to me. He had a strong work ethic. He was always working. And um, when he wasn't working, he was with us. We were his best friends. Toby. Myself, he was over at our house all the time and goofing off. Or we would have parties or we'd go bowling together or street bike motorcycle riding or dirt bike motorcycle riding or don't get me started playing racquetball. We played racquetball a ton. And I was the most experienced racquetball player. But they were both very fit and very small compared to me. So where my expertise was skill, they had speed and agility over my big old frame, so. We were one day at the gym, the guys were talking, and James was talking to this aerobics instructor. And uh, James says, Reed, come over here, I'm going to introduce you to somebody. I went up to her and she was a very pretty brunette with a gorgeous tan. And James says, oh, Reed, this is Trish. She's an aerobics instructor here. Trish, this is Reed. He's from England. Again, when I looked at Trish, she smiled. She had perfect teeth, perfect makeup, and a very captivating smile. We started chatting, and we obviously were getting on very well. And Trish said, oh, um, she was going to go to TJ that weekend. What's TJ? And she said, oh, it's Tijuana, Mexico. And it's like, Mexico? Yes. And understandably, I know I wasn't so familiar with the geography. San Diego is the closest city in California to the Mexican border. 
So that Friday night came, and Trish, myself, and about half a dozen other people from the gym went down to Tijuana. We parked at the border in a big parking lot, and we walked across the border. And basically, I think once we got out there, it looked like we were on some sort of American university campus. There were so many young American kids. But the entertainment was basically that they would come around and sell tequila shots with a slice of lime. And the basic way that they did it was they would put it in front of you. You would lift up the glass, drink the shot, suck on the lime. Then the waiter would stand behind you and get you in a sort of a headlock and then vigorously shake your head around like you had to mix up the cocktail in your mouth. And while he or she is shaking your head, they would be blowing a whistle. Everybody would be looking at you, laughing, and you do two or three of those, and yeah, you're definitely uh, not remembering where you're at. So it was just kind of like a fun thing you do, and you would send them to people. You would say, oh yeah, send that person a tequila shot, and that's how it worked. Understandably, uh, by the end of the evening, we uh, had definitely consumed a fair amount of alcohol. We walked back across the border, and um, I ended up spending the night at Trisha's house. From that point forward, we became girlfriend and boyfriend. So who was Trish? She was an aerobics instructor and a student at uh, UCSD, And I suppose the thing with the relationship was it was highs and lows. I had some of the best times, but I had some of the worst times with her. She had an ability to really entertain me, to enthrall me, to have me hanging on her every word. But she also had an amazing ability to absolutely press every single button I had. And she knew it. She knew exactly how to manipulate me. And as such, you know, we would have great times and there were times I wanted to kill her. In fact, in fact, I did say to the guys on several times, I think I'm going to go to prison one day. And we all laughed because we all said, yeah, you probably will, because you're going to kill (laughs) Trishy. I think everything came to a head. Uh, We were in uh, New Orleans. It was the late 80s now, maybe 88, 89. And I was there at the annual biochemical convention that uh, my dad would actually fly out from the UK. And uh, I remember being out there in 1988. My dad was meeting all of his business associates, people that he'd known for many years, something in excess of decades. And what was so heartwarming for my dad was he was getting some wonderful feedback from business associates that he'd known for many years, telling him how much they enjoyed working with his son. I remember one of the uh, conventions there, my dad gave me a call and said, "Uh, you know, you need to go get yourself a car. And I was like, oh, wow, Dad, thank you. Thank you so much. So I went out and I told the boys, hey, my dad said I should go get a car. So I'm thinking about getting like a BMW or maybe even a Porsche or something. And James said, no, 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 bro, I'll I'll show you. And... uh, He took me to a Chevrolet dealer and said, this is what you should buy. And he pointed to a Corvette. It was a brand new 1988 silver Corvette with a 5.7 liter V8. When they fired that thing up, it was like, yeah, I'll take it. (laughs) We obviously in the UK, we don't tend to have large capacity size engines. 
and hearing that V8 roar to life and rumble, uh, yeah, I was captivated. So I went and purchased a brand new Corvette. And uh, I remember calling my dad and telling him, oh, dad, yeah, I bought a car. Thank you so much. I, I bought a, a Corvette. And my dad goes, Corvette, Corvette, what is that? And I said, oh, it's a Chevrolet. And my dad goes, oh, like 57 Chevy. And I said, yeah, that's it, Dad. Yeah, that's, a, that's it, Chevy. And I goes, fine, fine, fine. Oh, well, nice. Good, good for you, son. I'm, you know, you deserve it. I, I hope you enjoy it. And then I remember it was about a couple of months later, my dad came out to San Diego for just some sort of update meeting with the other staff. And um, we were in La Jolla. And it just so happened that my Corvette was in the garage being serviced because I'd burnt the clutch out. And less than 10,000 miles, I'd burnt the clutch out from wheel spinning and tire smoking. And as we were walking down the street in La Jolla, a Corvette happened to just be rolling by. And I pointed it out to my father and I said, oh, Dad, there you go, that's a Corvette. My dad took one look at it and was like, what? You never told me you bought a Ferrari? And I said, Dad, it's not a Ferrari, it's a, it's a Corvette. My dad said, no, son. That's not the right image for us, not the image I want to present for Biozyme. Sell it. That was the end of the conversation. I dutifully sold the car the next week, and uh, I bought a Honda Accord. <laughs> a Honda Accord four-door sedan. And with the change that was left over, I bought myself a motorcycle. So I suppose I still kept my fun, sporty aspect, but I now was driving a very somber four-door car, which made my dad very happy. I suppose the irony of it was 95% of the clients that I used to visit were out of town and probably out of state. So every time I went to see them, I would fly in and be driving a rental car anyway. In fact, I don't remember ever seeing a client driving that Corvette. I always went there, as I said, by plane and rental car. So here we come to 1989. It was the annual biochemical convention in Louisiana. And in fact, it was New Orleans. My mom actually came out to be with my dad. And the convention was over. Everything had gone really well. My mom, my dad, and myself were sitting in a restaurant. And I could tell that there was something, something in the air. Something wasn't quite right. And my dad basically said, Reed, your mother and I need to talk to you about Trish. We don't think she's the right person for you. My mom then interjected that if I stayed with Trish, and especially if I got married to Trish, that my mom would disinherit me. My father backed that up by saying, if you just continue to stay with Trish, you won't have a job at Biozyme. I immediately got to my feet, looked at my parents, told them to go screw themselves. I was young, dumb, impetuous. Now I understand where my parents were coming from. They were seeing somebody treating their child in a manner that they did not approve of. Unfortunately, it was a methodology that really didn't seem to work. Understandably, my choice of partner was my choice. What my parents were doing was getting me to question my own choices. That didn't sit well with me. And I felt, but mom, dad, you don't know Trish like I know her. She's this, she's that, she's wonderful. You just don't know that. From that point, I took it upon myself that 
it was my duty to prove my parents wrong. By that time, Trisha and I had broken up and got back together and broken up and got together at least three or four times. The facts were written on the wall. The relationship was doomed. But unfortunately, with the intervention of my parents now bringing into question my choices, as I said, the relationship now was going to last longer than it should have simply because I had to prove my parents wrong. At the end of 89, things were really going well at Biosheim, and as a consequence, my bonus at the end of the year was enough for me to put a deposit down on my own condominium, the first time I would own a piece of property of my own. In the Scripps Ranch area, I bought a two-bedroom, two-bathroom condominium, and uh, Trish and I moved into it. It came to my birthday, 1st of June. Trish bought a cake for me. We shared the cake on the table, and then I believe we had an argument, and Trish dawned off. This was it for me. I'd now decided that, yeah, I think we've just had enough. Trisha moved out, got her own place, and I decided, yeah, I'm just going to move on with life. I went to the gym one day, and I was standing there with Toby, and Patrice came up to me. She asked me a question about where did I get my hair cut? I was like, oh, I get it cut at this barber's, blah, 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 you know, da, 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 everything like that. She said, okay, yeah, because she's looking for a place to have Morgan, her eldest son, get his hair cut. And gave her all the information, she thanked me, and then she left. At that point, Toby turned to me and said, you know, she likes you. I laughed and I said, oh, no, 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 I, I hear what you're saying, but no, 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 she's, she's Trisha's boss, you know. And Toby goes, I'm telling you, she likes you. No, I just blew it off and just thought, well, no, no, you're, I hear what you're saying, but I, you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. It was uh, about a month later. It came to um, just before Labor Day, which is the first Monday in September. As I came out of the gym, I saw Patrice getting on the back of a motorcycle. And that really surprised me. I didn't know she liked motorcycles. So I went over and I said, hey, I didn't know you liked motorcycles. And she said, yeah, I used to ride them a lot when I was younger up in Orange County. When it was still orange groves, we used to ride little dirt bikes, you know, down the orange groves. And yes, I've done that a long time ago. She was getting on the back of a motorcycle that belonged to Mike, the gym photographer. All of the advertising, Mike took the photography. How does he know Patrice? Uh, because Patrice was the model in most of the advertising that the gym put out. Why not? Gorgeous, blonde, far a faucet locks, a most amazing physique, tone, tan, six-pack. She'd had the uh, obligatory Californian enhancements, and uh, she just looked stunning. So I said, oh, well, it's Thursday now. What are you doing on Monday, on Labor Day? And uh, she said, nothing. And I said, well, would you like to go out for a ride on my bike? I've got a 1,000cc bike, you know, we can go maybe out to the Palomar area. And surprisingly, Patrice said, yeah, okay, let's do that. She gave me her number and said, give me a call tomorrow and uh, I'll give you the address and then come on over. I did so and, uh, yeah, even when I called her, I said, oh, hi, Patrice, this Reed, you know, are you still open for going out on Monday? And she said, yeah, that sounds really great. She gave me her address. I said, I'll see you on Monday. Monday came, and I put on my full one-piece leather race suit, my helmet, I brought a spare helmet, 
rode over to Patrice's apartment. I'd now come to the realisation that Patrice was actually going through a divorce. I felt really sorry for her, but again, when I went to pick her up, it was not a date. It was simply two people that knew each other from the gym spending the day together. She looked wonderful. She got on the back, and I told her, OK, just put your arms around me and hold on and just go with the bike. If the bike leans, just go with it and don't lean against it. And as we rode, yeah, she was a perfect passenger. San Diego is obviously, you know, a coastal town, but maybe about 30, 40 miles inland from San Diego is a small mountain range called Palomar Mountains. And what's really nice about it is right at the top, there is an observatory, quite a famous observatory for uh, Southern California. And being a mountain, there was really nice mountain roads and switchbacks, left, right, and uh, wonderful climbs. Uh, there was a very tight, twisty way up to Palomar on the one side and a long, sweeping road going back on the other way. Leading to the mountain is a long, straight road. It's quiet. It's a bank holiday. Nobody's really out. As we're going along, starting on this long straightaway, I take my hand and I squeeze Patrice's knee. I can feel her holding me that little bit tighter. I open the bike up. What's the speed in California? I think 55, something like that. So we jump it up. 60, 80, 100. Ludicrous speed. My bike was now tapped out. We were flying along, her holding onto the back of me. If anything had come out and we'd hit it, we probably would have been vaporized right there and there. Flying along this country lane, country road, I suppose, towards the base of the mountain. It was exhilarating for me. It was probably terrifying for Patrice. When we get to the base of the mountain, I am now winding this bike up, left, right, as we're climbing up this mountain road. We get to the top. There we are at the observatory. I pull the bike over. It's ticking away, the metal expanding, contracting. Park the bike up, Patrice gets off the bike, and I can tell that she had just been on an e-ticket ride. Here we are at the top of the mountain at the observatory. There were some lovely picnic tables set out in front of it. We chose one that was conveniently placed in some shade. This was the opportunity that we finally got to sit and talk to each other. Up until this point, in the almost three years that I'd known Patrice, our interaction had always been so superficial. It was always just a casual, oh, hi, Reed, hi, Patrice, you know. And that was about it. I never really stopped and engaged Patrice in conversation. I really didn't have any need to. She was just my girlfriend's boss. I was always polite and respectful. But as I said, she was a married woman with children and was not available. In some ways, this is what was also one of the wonderful things about us going out on that Monday, was I had no intentions or desires with regards to Patrice. It was simply a nice day out that I could go out with somebody and I knew it wasn't going to lead anywhere. From my perspective, there were so many things going against Patrice with regards to being a girlfriend, let alone a partner. Uh, let's see, let's list them. Uh, Patrice was older than me. My wife was absolutely going to be younger than me. Uh, Patrice had been married. She was going through a divorce. And I suppose the clincher for me 
Patrice had children. And I thought, oh, no, that never would be somebody I would be looking at as far as going out and having a relationship with because there are all these negative factors. But here we were sitting there at this picnic table, and it was the first time that we really got to speak with each other. And in a very short space of time, we both realized, wow, you are significantly different from the person that I thought you were. Trish was a 19-year-old valley girl from Los Angeles. Yes, I was younger than Patrice by five years, but had far more maturity than she'd anticipated. Also, my life experience was something that she was quite enthralled with. For me, what I was so taken with with Patrice was just how calm and open and positive she was. Here I am talking to this really wonderful, caring, sincere person. And we must have sat there for two hours, just chatting and finally getting to know each other. At the end of that time, we said, well, should we get something to eat? So we drove back down to uh, Rancho Bernardo, where Patrice was living, and at a little bit more sedate pace than the one that we took getting there. And we came back to Rancho Bernardo, and we went to El Torito's, a wonderful Mexican restaurant. At the end of that, when we went back to Patrice's house, she thanked me for an enjoyable day and said, you know what, um, let me make dinner for you to show my appreciation. Friday, how does Friday sound? And I was like, great, I'll come and have dinner with you. Even at that point, I didn't feel like, oh, that was, that was a date and this is going somewhere. I just genuinely felt that, that it was just Patrice's way of reciprocating for having a fun day out with me, that she would do something for me in return. Do not run. As panicked as I was, I knew that I should not start running. We would all have a tendency to look at somebody if we saw them running in the street. Why are they running? What are they running from? I knew, stay calm, walk steadily. I reached my truck, threw the helmet, bank bag, and 45 onto the seat, and sat there momentarily. I did it. Don't get smug, you're not out of it yet. I started up the truck and rolled down the hill. Before I knew it, I came to the main thoroughfare that was going to take me to the freeway interchange. As I was going along for nothing more than a minute or so, I looked ahead and here were three police cars coming towards me. Lights flashing, sirens blaring. But as we got closer, like ships in the night, we just sailed past each other. 